welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. But I want to propose that survival is always like the least beneficial goal for moving forward in your life. Suppose that somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, I, I really like some advice on my finances. I'm trying to figure out how to move forward financially. And you say, okay, I've got really, really solid advice for you. You follow this advice, you'll be good to go. Just don't bounce money out of your account. Anytime you try and withdraw money from the account, just make sure you have that much money in the account. You'll be good to go. Well, Sure, it's better, than, it's better than paying overdraft fees. It's better than that kind of thing. But you're not setting someone up for real flourishing by just trying to stay out of the negative financially. <laughs> you're not setting up a marriage for real flourishing if you're like, hey, best marriage advice here, just do the bare minimum so you don't get divorced. <laughs> It'll be great. You'll have a great time. Survival's not like the most beneficial goal. So I started really processing with the Lord and saying, okay, I did slip into survival here. What actually could be a better goal for me in this season? And and as I wrestled through it, the conclusion that I came to is this. First of all, we probably have to acknowledge that if um, past historical trends uh, are relevant today, it's more than likely that none of us will ever live through another global pandemic. They happen about once a century. Turns out there was one that happened almost exactly a century ago. It was called the Spanish flu. And you know what happened? All the churches closed for two years. And everybody said, oh, we'll never recover. And, you know, all the churches came back and, you know, life kind of resumed normal. You go back 100 years before that, there was another one. It turns out these things are, they kind of run a 100-ish year cycle. So, you know, pretty much all of us in this room probably aren't likely to be here 100 years from now. And so odds are this is our one pass through this thing. That means this is a once in a lifetime experience. And for those of us who are on the journey of faith with God, that means this is a once in a lifetime experience with God. And I think that means that God has once-in-a-lifetime lessons, once-in-a-lifetime upgrades, once-in-a-lifetime things that he would sow into our lives in this season if we're willing to receive them, if we're able to receive them. And, you know, those once-in-a-lifetime things, we actually get to keep them on the backside of this season. I think we actually get to keep them likely for all eternity, And so when I realized that, I realized this. Wait a minute. Hold on. I should not be thinking about surviving this season. That's not a great goal at all. You know what my goal is this season? To get everything off the table that this is my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get that I get to keep for all eternity. Isn't that a better way to look at, at this? I don't wake up going, oh, gosh, can I do another day? I go, oh, gosh, can I get more in my pockets today? Can I, can I snag more of what's there that I can only get now? But if we want to do that, I think what we need to do is I think we need to be aware and intentional to make sure that we're getting the right type of spiritual intake that we need for this season. You know, biologically and nutritionally, 
our nutritional intake has to match our activities for us to be able to continue to thrive long term. Uh, my friend James in the front row here is quite a runner. Um, and, you know, he knows what many of us know. If you're about to run, uh, set out for a long run, it's wise to take some carbohydrates into the body first. It gives you some energy, right? And you can burn off that energy. You've got it. You can run. But it's not really helpful to take carbohydrates right after you went to the gym and lifted a bunch of weights. It's not going to give you anything. You don't need carbohydrates. You need protein to rebuild your muscles. Likewise, if you pound a bunch of protein before you go run a marathon, that's going to be pretty awful. <laughs> you need the right intake to match the right activity. What I want to propose is that in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we have, we might need to think about recalibrating our spiritual intake. And for many of us, we're actually struggling because we haven't done a lot of that. And so we're doing the equivalent of eating protein before our marathon run. <laughs> and protein's better than maybe nothing, but it's not like the exact right nutrients that we can, we can get. So what I want to talk about tonight, if we can go there, is what, what is that spiritual intake that matches this season? What does set us up most effectively for our once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Can we do that? Yeah. Does that sound okay? She's excited. That's all I need. I have the mic, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> all right. So the first thing I want to do here is I want to suggest part of the challenge of the season involves the way that we know God. You know, if you haven't noticed, we're all human beings. And <laughs> I hope you've noticed that <laughs> before you got in here. We're all human beings. And one of, the, one of the traits, one of the qualities of being human beings is all of our experiences of life, with the exception of God, have to do with finite things. We only experience things for finite amounts of time. We only have a finite amount of money. We have a finite amount of hours in our day. Everything that we do has to do with a finite set that we're always interacting with. But God is not finite. And part of being a human being means we can only conceive of finite things. Trust me, I, I was a physicist before I uh, became a, a, a pastor. And so... Uh, you can calculate with infinity, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, I can do the math, but it breaks my head because I have no experience of infinity. And so what that means practically is this. We can all sit in this room and we can say, well, God is infinite. Totally true. And you know what? We all believe it. But our mind can't wrap its head around that. And so what our mind does is it says God is really, really big. <laughs> Because that's the closest thing that we can do to infinity. But that mostly works, except when you're in a really unique scenario. Can I welcome up Jess and, and Peter here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use them as, a, as an object lesson because I love object lessons. This is Peter. He's from Nottingham up the road. And this is Jess. He's from the States along with the other people that I brought. Now, you might notice there's a little bit of a height disparity <laughs> between these two, and that's why they're up here, okay? So, if, if I as a human being can only, can only perceive of God as 
uh, sort of a finite amount of bigness, as it were, then what happens is I live my life processing the issues, the challenges, the things that I face, and God in the mix, and all of those things provide the scale for how big I understand God to be. So let's suppose I, I, you know, like all of us, I have some set of struggles. I walk through some financial issues. I've got some relational challenges. I wrestle with depression, whatever it is. All of this like sets a size. And what happens is as I journey with God through um, in faith through all of this, what happens is I see whatever size my problems are, God is bigger than them. And I'll be good as long as I'm facing problems shorter than my understanding of God. But the challenge happens when I've wrestled with all of these issues and I have a picture of God that's this tall, and then 2020 happens. (laughs) And what's happening on, on the inside of me is I know in my head God's bigger than 2020. But the problem is I've never experienced that big. So internally, the God that I know, the relationship that I've built, this is how big I can understand God to be because that's the biggest challenges I've faced. And this gap right here, this is the I'm freaked out, I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I'm anxious gap. This is the gap right here. And this is why... 2020 has the unique upgrades for us that it does. Because we're probably not going to have the bar set at Peter Height again anytime soon. He's quite tall. (laughs) Right? So the question question is this. How does that gap close? Because if we don't close that gap, you'll just work to survive the season. And you probably will. I mean, statistics show you'll probably actually survive. Yes but you'll walk out with God still this tall in your experience. Does that make sense? Okay. How do we close the panic gap? Thank you very much for your um, illustrations. (laughs) Now, to talk about closing the panic gap, I I want to flip to a really interesting verse in the book of Galatians. Now, I didn't prepare well enough to actually have the verses up on the screen. I figure it's probably likely that you guys do that often. Um, So what I will do is I'll I'll read these verses out loud. If you want to swipe to them or flip pages to them or whatever, I'll give you the addresses. Um, We're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul is writing, he's writing to the Galatian church, he's dealing with all of their issues, and he adds this verse as he comes kind of into the back half of the letter. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, the terms Abba and Father are interesting little terms, and they're, they're kind of important when it comes to understanding our relationship with God. Um, if you've been around the church for a while, you've likely heard uh, that this word Abba is actually, it's like a Hebrew word. It was the word that children would call their parents. And so we sort of have two different parent words happening here, Abba and Father. 
Now, what's interesting and what might slip past us if, if we're not uh, trying to dig and understand the original culture or something like that, is that these two words would never be partnered together. This is a weird sentence. And we miss that because, like, we, first of all, that doesn't come through in the translation. Second of all, we get caught up on the fact that Abba is like another language, and so we usually like focus on that. But what's happening here is there are two exclusively different relationships described by the term Abba and by the term Father. The term Abba would be used in the, in the ancient you know, Near Eastern Hebrew context. This term would be used from about the time a child was born until they were an early teenager. They would be described, they would describe their relationship with their father using the term Abba to refer to their father. It's loosely translated in English something like daddy, I suppose. That would be how we'd say it in the U.S. I guess I don't even know. Do you guys use the term daddy here? Right? It's kind of an intimate term, it's a, and there is intimacy to it. But beyond intimacy, what it does is it describes a relationship with a well-defined set of parameters around the dependency of the child on the father. Uh, were we able to get the photo of my family together? Did we, we get that? I, I, there we go. My one thing that I prepared well is a photo of my family here, right? So I've got, uh, as you can see there, three kids. That's my wife, my three kids. Um, oldest is 11 and 9 and 6. That photo was a couple of years ago, but they basically still look like that. <laughs> when, when I would come home at the end of my work day, you know, I'd, uh, I'd come in, I'd park the car, I'd start, I'd start going in, into the house. And often, um, by the time I get home, you know, the kids are sitting around, they're playing, they're doing whatever they're doing at the end of the night. And when they would hear the door open and they would hear me start coming through the door, more often than not, I would hear one of them yell, Daddy's home! And then I would get stampeded as I would try to make my way through the doorway into the house. You know, I've got my backpack and my coat. I'm just trying to get in, and they're wrapping themselves around me and all of this. They would all run up to me. They would all wrap their arms around me because they wanted to experience that connection and that sense of safety that came because they knew that I was there and I could provide for them. That's a picture of the ABBA relationship. Now, the word father is very different from that, not just in that it feels more formal. It is, at least in English, more formal. But in the ancient world, and specifically the ancient Hebrews, they would use the term that's translated father only after they had become a mature, fully grown son with a family of their own. So you probably wouldn't use this word until you were like at least in your 20s or later. The term father you would use to refer to your parents in the context of a peer-peer adult relationship. So my dad is a writer. He's been a writer his whole life. I've recently, in the last couple of years, become a writer myself. And so from time to time, my dad and I would go out to breakfast and we'd talk shop. 
what ideas are you working on? You know, what, what, what characters, da, 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 what input are you getting? You know, what are you dreaming about? We talk about writing and we'd eat and we'd catch up and all of that. And then at the end of the meal, I would pay for my meal and he would pay for his meal. Why? Because we're both mature adults. We both have our own finances. We both have our own whatever. Once in a while, one of us would treat, but that was never the expectation because we were relating to one another in a different pattern. That's the pattern that's being described by this word father. So when we know that that's what Abba means and that's what father means, it becomes clear this is a really weird set of words to mush together because you would never have a relationship with an earthly parent that you would use one or that you would use both of those words. You would only ever use one or the other. And yet, Paul writes that the Spirit of God inside of us cries out to God, Abba and Father. See, what's really interesting about God is we, we have kind of multiple sets of relationships with him at the same time. God's complicated. <laughs> and so when we relate to him, it's sort of complicated. And the truth is, is we have both an Abba relationship with God and a father relationship with God. In the Abba relationship with God, the focus is on how big God is. In an Abba relationship, you know how kids solve their problems? My dad's bigger than your dad. He's going to beat your dad up. That's what's going to happen. They solve their problems by relying on the bigness of their parents. And they want to experience and they want to feel the bigness of your parents. Daddy, pick me up. Lift me up above my problems. The focus is on the bigness of our parents. And our Abba relationship with God is all about that. It's all about how big God is. Our father relationship with God, paradoxically, is when God turns around and he says, let me tell you about how big you are. Because, you know, I put myself inside you. You're pretty big. You're pretty amazing, too. The Abba relationship is all about intimacy. Daddy, hold me. Pick me up. I feel nervous. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. In the father relationship, it's actually all about authority. God says, why don't you speak to that storm? Why don't you speak to that body part? Why don't you exercise the kingdom authority I've given you because we're both in the kingdom trade? <clears throat> in the uh, Abba relationship, we rely on God to solve our problems. We say, God, help me. God, give me the answer. I don't know what to do here. In the father relationship, God says, what do you think we should do? I don't know about you. I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, when it comes to the authority part, I'm like, I'll do that. When it comes to the decision making, I'm like, I always want you to give me the answer. <laughs> right? In the Abba relationship, it's about the revelation God gives us. In the father relationship, it's about the wisdom God has invested in us. We have both of these relationships with God. Now, here's the thing that's weird. In our natural relationship with our natural parents, we begin in the Abba relationship 
And we, in time, grow into the father relationship. But we do that leaving the Abba relationship behind. And in fact, it's actually immaturity to go back there once you've grown here, right? Right? I mean, it's like, I'm I'm moving back into the parents' house at 45, (laughs) dependent on them. We don't look at that and go, that's the best thing ever. Really happy about that. No, we leave behind the Abba relationship and we grow into the father relationship. But the thing about God is that never is quite how it works with him. See, with God, we all start in the Abba relationship. Yeah. You know what we do? We crash land our lives in the kingdom of God. At least most of us do. We make such a mess of our lives. Everything falls apart. And eventually we stop trying to solve it ourselves and we say, God, fine, I give up. I need your help. That's an Abba moment. I need your help. Come pick me up, God. And he does. He scoops us up. He lifts us above our problems. He demonstrates. He flexes his God muscles a little bit in our lives. Right? And before we know it, things are starting to get better. And we're like, oh, this is great. This is so good. I'm so excited. And this is amazing. And then eventually, God starts tutoring us into the father relationship with God. That transition can be difficult, by the way, because it's really fun to have God solve all your problems. But eventually God says, I want, I want to work with you on that. By the way, this is, you may have had some friends that have expressed thoughts like this. When you're going from one to the other, what often happens is the person starts pointing the finger at the church, saying the church isn't feeding me the way I'm used to being fed. Anybody ever heard that? I, I know I hear that all the time. The point is, God wants you to feed yourself. It's, it's not about whether the, it's the, if you're still trying to be fed by the church, you're trying to stay in the Abba relationship. And God is growing you into the father relationship. So God invests us, grows us into the father relationship, tells us to speak to things with authority, teaches us how to believe that we are who he says we are. And all of these important and powerful and wonderful things. But the thing is with God, we grow into the father relationship, but we can't let go of the Abba relationship. We can't let go of the, God, pick me up. God, I need you. God, show me your revelation. And you know what I have experienced in my life? I have experienced that the only thing in my life that closes that panic gap, the only thing in my life that makes God bigger in my experience is the Abba relationship. It's not the father one. The father relationship is about how big I am in Jesus. I didn't do it myself, but the focus is on that peership with God. The Abba relationship is about God's bigger than you. But one of the things we can challenge, one of the challenges we can face as charismatic believers is we can struggle to shift back into that mode because we can come to know this one well. I remember early in the pandemic, there's so many times it's like, oh man, do you guys remember? I mean, maybe this was just in the States, but like people were like, it's only going to be like two months. I remember in my scientific training, I just remember laughing at that. I mean, like, oh, I don't think you understand what's happening here. When, we're, when we were in that season, I remember people like, let's declare that it'll be done before Easter. 
I was like, hey, man, I hope that's true. Don't hear me complaining about that. But you're trying to flex the father relationship muscle to solve something that's actually an Abba relationship problem. What you should be saying is, God, I'm really scared and I need you to pick me up right now. God, my whole world is spiraling out of control. I don't know how to do what I have to do today. I need you to pick me up. I need you to show me that you're actually bigger than this thing. Because here I am with a this size God and I'm staring at a that size problem. It's the oppo relationship that allows us to get lifted up to a new height. And when God lifts us up to a new height, we see like, oh, I'm seeing higher than I've seen before. I guess this must be how tall God is. Even on my tiptoes, I'm not really particularly close to Peter. (laughs) In the book of Romans, Paul continues to write. This is, by the way, this is a little tangent here. And I'll throw it in. Are we doing okay? Am I preaching too long? I don't even know how long this service is supposed to be. We won't be here too much longer. It's good enough. She like, well, you were with me in the first place. Somebody else. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. You know, even Jesus wrestles with this. What's he praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Abba. If you can take this cup from me, if there's any other way, what does he declare on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is part of the pattern of faith. God brings us to a place where we have to revisit the Abba relationship. We have to allow ourselves to lean in on that dependency. And you know what God does? He gives grace to the humble, doesn't he? He gives grace to the humble. In Romans 8, if I can find the verse. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Look at this here. Look at this geographically. We are children of God. The spirit is bearing witness to children of God. And if we're children, then we're also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified by him. When you find yourself in that hard place, the challenge of the situation feels bigger than God. What are you doing? You're suffering in that moment. And what do you need? You need the spirit of God to bear witness that you are indeed God's child. And when you stay in that place, you know what happens? Your picture of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually you realize, oh my goodness, that suffering actually converted into glory. I was a child, now I'm an heir. I entered the problem with a God smaller. I exited with a God bigger. 
What if this is the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we have to see God bigger than we'll ever have the chance again? I don't know about you. That's what I want. And so I want to just encourage all of us. Maybe the point of this season is to allow ourselves to get real comfortable right here. To stop trying to be big. To stop trying to be impressive. To stop trying to be okay. You know what's really refreshing about kids? They don't try to be okay. If they look okay, they're okay. If not, they're a total mess. <laughs> but they're a total mess looking to their Abba, aren't they? That's how they are. Maybe we don't need to try. Maybe we just need to look to our Abba and let him pick us up. Let's pray. Can I have everybody maybe stand to your feet? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.